All right, well, that's some great walk-up music. We've got we to step up our game at Faith Community. But uh, it's great to be with you this morning, and thank all of you that are joining us online. And uh, it's always my privilege to come and speak at Elevation. I think this is my fourth or fifth time, and uh, it was great hearing about your legacy offering uh, because the first time I ever spoke was at Ronnie's Theater, and they had just put in the super deluxe seats. It was like the first weekend, that recline. And I thought, there's no way you're going to be able to carry an audience when they can recline, uh, and they'll fall asleep. And it was so funny because uh, on Friday, Friday afternoon, my son and I uh, went to see a movie, and uh, little did I know, I picked the exact theater that I preached in the first time, and I told my son, I said, hey, I preached here. He said, what? You preached in a theater? Why would you do that? And I said, because there was a church here, and I'm actually going to be speaking there uh, again on Sunday, so it's been so neat to see where God has brought you from, uh, to where you all are today, and uh, to where he may take you uh, in the future, and uh, I really do love your pastors, and that's not just a platitude. Uh, Pastor Daniel and I have been getting together for breakfast every Friday morning for probably the last six years. Uh, we meet at 8.30. It's just a standing appointment uh, on both of our calendars, and uh, it's been amazing to get to know him. I'm the, uh, I'm the firstborn, so I'm the oldest, uh, and Daniel is older than me, and I don't mean any disrespect, but he's been kind of like uh, an older brother to me, uh, which is amazing. I don't know if there's any firstborns in here, and uh, I, I love being the firstborn, but I also love feeling like I've got a brother and uh, someone who's gone before me, and uh, they're wonderful uh, individuals, and uh, always, like I said, thankful to come and be able to speak. Um, but, I, I, you know, Daniel asked me to come and speak in the middle of a generosity and money series, and uh, that's always fun, right? That's always fun uh, to come in the middle of and speak on that. And uh, we are in the series called The Blessed Life. This is week number three. And uh, so far, I know that you all have uh, talked about God's heart uh, for our finances and how giving is mentioned and generosity. I think Daniel said over 2,000 times, went back and listened to uh, some of his messages in this series, over 2,000 times of being generous and what it means to be like God. And we're never more like God than when we give. And then last week, talked about how God is the owner of everything and we are simply just stewards. We steward everything. Everything that God has for us. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure Pastor Daniel shared this voice that, you know, everything is the Lord, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. And we steward it and we manage it and we get that opportunity and that privilege. And today, uh, it's an interesting, interesting title uh, for the series, but it's called Breaking the Spirit of Mammon. And I'm pretty sure mammon is a word that we use every day, right? In our common vernacular, uh, we use the word mammon. And uh, it's interesting because you really only find that word in the King James and in the New King James translation. And after that, uh, they start translating the word as money or wealth or riches. And uh, the word mammon, I just think it would be uh, beneficial for us to kind of define it right off the bat before we dig in, is really just a, a transliteration of the Greek word. I'm going to butcher it, mamona. So they took the Greek word. There's no English equivalent for this particular word. And they just made it into a, an English word, mammon. But it literally, it means wealth or riches. That's what it means. An Aramaic word meaning wealth or riches. And you can go all the way back in history and see that some believe that there was a, a Babylonian and later a Syrian god named uh, roughly the same name, Mammon, to represent wealth and riches. That's where, it's, that's where it comes from, this word Mammon. But what's interesting is this. I was digging into the word to kind of understand what is it, what did it mean? What kind of connotation did it have? What did it come to mean amongst the first century believers? And I found this quote uh, from a common said this, Christians began to use the term mammon as a pejorative to describe gluttony, excessive materialism, greed, and unjust worldly gain. That's not very exciting. 
But it kind of helps put into perspective for a verse that we're going to read here in a moment that the word came to mean gluttony, excessive materialism, greed, and unjust worldly gain. And I thought, how interesting is it to consider this word mammon in light of the current culture in which we live in, which seems like it's predicated on more and more and more and more, and that profit has become before people. And I think we can look around in maybe the past year and a half and just see kind of how much is really being driven by the need for more and the need for profit over who we are as individuals. Matter of fact, I think our American culture is kind of a mammon culture. More. Give me more. Success becomes the God, right? Achievement becomes the God. Get more. And the interesting thing about more is it never seems to be enough. Have any of you guys just put a false cap on how much money you want to make? Like you've already decided that I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy at this particular amount of money. And even if my boss or my company comes up to me and says, we want to give you money, more money, you say, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need any more money. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm not going to take any more money. Anybody ever done that? Absolutely not, right? You're going to get more. But it's interesting that if you look at studies, what they show is that there's a guy who wrote a book. His name's uh, Malcolm Gladwell and a very interesting writer. And, and uh, he wrote a book called David and Goliath. And he, it's a study in, of all these different kind of things. But it talked about uh, income as it relates to happiness. This book was written probably, I don't know, at least 10 years ago. I picked it up in an airport and I started reading it. I made the mistake of reading it in the airport and I wanted to keep reading it. And so I overpaid for the book at Hudson News or whatever, and, and took it on a plane with me and, and was reading it. But the, back then, and I've heard that they've adjusted it, but back then they said the highest levels of happiness in relationship to salary was right about $75,000 a year. And of course, this is in America. $75,000 a year. After you eclipsed that, people reported lower levels of happiness and peace and contentment. That was like the sweet spot, right there at 75000 Some of you are like, well, hey, I, you know, I, could, I could stand to be there. You know, I'll be good. But I just found it interesting that more doesn't always make us happier. More doesn't always fulfill us in any way, shape, or form. Seems to be a a, a trailing off effect. But this idea of mammon, this wealth and riches, it really has come to be understood as kind of like the spirit that rests on money. Like there's something about money that's just more than a resource that we have in our bank account or, or the number that we receive from doing a particular job. That money, while not the money in and of itself as the physical currency isn't, isn't evil and have a spirit upon it, there's a spirit that rests kind of on money and wealth and, and riches that has to be redeemed. And that's why God talks about it so much because of the effect that it has on us. Really, if you want to think of mammon in a way that kind of makes a bit more sense in your practical life, because I don't think anybody is going to just stand up and say, I'm excessively materialistic, I'm greedy, and I have unjustly worldly gain in my life. But maybe we could think of it like this, that mammon literally kind of says this, that money will be my source and solve all my problems and not God. That money will be the answer to everything in life. Money will be the point of fulfillment. Money will, will open doors and money will, will make me at peace. And if I just had more money, I would sleep better at night. Right? But I think there was a great philosopher who had a phrase like this. He said, more money, more problems. <laughs> he, he knew something. He knew something that, that we probably all can agree on. But it says money, wealth, achievement, riches, if I could just get that 
then I would be happy. And what's even kind of crazier is this. There's like this whole belief even in Christianity that God just wants you to have more and more and more. And we reduced him to some cosmic vending machine. Like, God, give me more. Not that God is against giving you things. Not that God is against you having things. He's just against things having us. He's really against this because he's a jealous God. He's so against us worshiping anything other than him. And that he ultimately is our source and is the solution to every issue that we face in life. And today, what I want to do is just talk through kind of three things about what does it look like to really break this spirit that, is, that kind of rests on money. If you think of it interestingly enough, all the way back to the historical beginning, these cultures had a god of wealth and money that they worshipped alongside many other gods. But in Christianity, we don't just view God as simply a God of wealth and resources, although he has everything because everything is his. He's so much more than that. And Jesus makes this point. He makes this point about about mammon. He says this in, in Luke chapter 16, verses 9 through 13. And he says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. For he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant, here's the crux of it, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or maybe your translation, you cannot serve God and money, or you cannot serve God and riches. It's the only time in the scriptures that Jesus contrasts something with serving God. That you cannot serve both. Like either you will serve money or the money will serve you, right? It will benefit you and it will help you. But you can't serve God and mammon. Because here's, here's just three lies of, of mammon, three lies that we buy into and it's perpetuated and they're, and they're this. First one is that money will make me secure. Money will make me secure. I don't know about you, but the more money I've gotten in life, the more stuff I got and the less secure I got because I became way more uh, th- uh, thoughtful and considerate about what I have and losing what I have and all oh, I got here, but what if I go back? And it, it didn't make me more secure. It made some things easier, that's for sure. Or this, money will make me significant. Make me secure. It'll make me significant. And then number three, ultimately, money will make me happy. That money will make me happy. These are three lies of this wealth and this riches and this kind of spirit that kind of rests on money. That money will make me secure. Money will make me significant. And money will make me happy. And again, the complete opposite of who we are to worship. So this idea of, of serving two masters, literally this thought that, hey, I can, I can prioritize God and I can prioritize my money and they can be on equal standing for me and then I can, I, I can kind of manage both of them. And I think what's interesting when you step back to consider like serving and, and the idea of worship that you tend to think that worship is what we just did. Right, We sang four songs, and we got them out of the way, and then we moved to, to the preaching, so we did our worship. But that's just a, a very little bitty piece of what uh, the word worship and actual service means. 
Like anything that you give your, your energy to and your time to and, and any other resource that you may have, that is a, a form of worship. What are you spending the most uh, mental energy on, the most emotional energy on? Maybe some of that's like kind of unconscious worship or worship by default. But Jesus is saying you can't, you can't serve both God and money. You can't, you can't take your, your career and your success and all of that and, and put all of your time, energy, and effort into that and make that the pinnacle of your life and still say that you're serving God. Like one of the two will be, uh, take priority in your life and one of the two is already sitting on the throne of your life leading and guiding you. Now I don't, I don't know anybody in here, so I don't know what your situation is. I don't know how much time and energy and effort you're putting into that. I'm just simply saying that Jesus makes this point that it is absolutely impossible for anyone to serve both God and money. But it is very possible to serve God with our money. And I think that's the whole point of what this series is, is serving God with our money and with our resources. The series is named The Blessed Life. And if you're not careful, you tend to think of blessing only as it relates to material things, right? That God wants to bless me with a car. That God wants to bless me with a house. That God wants to bless me with more money. All of those things in and of themselves are neither inherently good or bad. They just are, and they're things. But the word blessed in the scripture, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, it says that God looked at his creation and he blessed them. I was so fascinated by blessed. What does it mean to be, to be blessed? It literally means this, that God has brought function and order to his creation. God created something out of nothing, right? Ex nihilo, something out of nothing. And when he blessed it, he literally looked at it. He said, this is good. This is right. This is the way that it should be. And now he gave us the empowerment to be who he's created us to be and to do what he's created us to do. Blessing is God putting things into order in our life. And when we do what God says, God's way, for God's intent and purpose, then we are blessed and things are put into order. Outside of blessing is chaos because God cannot bless what he has not put into order. So when we do things our way, then no wonder we get chaos and disorder in our life. But when we do things God's way, it's already blessed. It's already blessed. So putting into order. And what is the number one cause of, just in relationships, of divorce in North America? It's money. It's arguments about money. The disorder and the chaos that it brings. So why wouldn't God want to bless that and to break this kind of spirit that's on it? So here's the three things that, that I want to just talk through today regarding money that can, can help us think a little bit more about not only the amount of money they have, but really kind of help us take a fresh look at how do we see money? How do we relate to money? How do we interact with money? How do we process our emotions as it relates to, to the money that, that God has given us? And the first thing is, is just recognizing that money is spiritual. That although it is a form of currency, and although we hardly ever touch physical money anymore, right? It's just numbers in our account. You ever wonder if money's even real anymore? You really know it doesn't exist, right? Money doesn't exist. Money's just an agreement that we all have that it has value. Think about that for a moment, right? You and I, if we're going to buy something, we are going to agree that the car that I buy from you is worth, I don't know, let's say $500. It's, a, you know, $500. So we agree that 
that car is worth $500. And then we agree that this amount of money that I give you in person or I cash app or Venmo you is actual real something that has value. But it only has value because you and I agree upon it. Pretty fascinating when you think about it. That money is not just the stack of bills in your, in your, I don't know, if you have a nightstand, if you keep money there, or just the numbers in your account, but it is, it is more than that. It's spiritual, and it affects us, and we should understand that because of how deeply money affects us. We get our sense of value from it. It, it can make our emotions go really high or go really low. There's so many crazy things about money. It kind of holistically impacts us. And listen to this, if, if, if money isn't spiritual, then how could Timothy, or Paul write this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He didn't say for money is the root of all kinds of evil. He said for the love of money. That's a really often scripture that's often misquoted, excuse me. Well, for money is the root of all evil. No, 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 no. It's the love of money. Now, what's interesting is, is I looked up that word love. It's not one of the four main words used for love in the Greek language. It's actually one word that means a lover of money. Like an obsession over it. Like anybody know anybody with OCD? That they obsess over something? It is an obsession with money that affects you every part of who you are. I was really shocked because I thought it was going to be like one of those four words uh, used for love in the Greek language. I don't know. It's a word all in of itself, all encompassing. For lovers of money, for the love of money, the obsession of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This is a warning that Paul is giving to Timothy. Like, hey, you're going to encounter people that you're pastoring and that you, you come into contact with that maybe even at one point they knew who God was. They started to follow him, but they began to obsess about money and more and to chase it. Right? Because it feels good to chase it and it feels good to get more. I don't know about you. I'd rather have more money than less. I don't believe the scripture is saying become, a, become a, po- a, a pauper, right? And just live with nothing. I don't know, but don't, just don't let those things have you. Don't be a lover of money. Again, be a lover of God and who he is and what he's done in your life. And then you, he goes down, uh, Jesus again in, in Luke chapter 16, he's talking about a particular group of Pharisees. He said, these Pharisees who dearly loved their money, guess what? It's the same phrase used in Timothy. These people who are money lovers, who are obsessed about money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts and what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Here's even these religious leaders who are using people for their own profit and gain. It's part of the reason why later you see Jesus flipping tables over in the, in the tabernacle. Because they're prioritizing gain and profit over people and their eternity. He's like, you, you love money and you like to appear righteous. But actually what the world honors, prioritizes, what the world serves and worships, this spirit of mammon, the spirit of, of greed and excessive gain and materialism, that's actually detestable in the eyes of God. Which is interesting because as you look throughout Scripture, you see that God blessed some people very, very much so with material resources. But what you see them doing is understanding that it's the blessing of God that came in their lives that was supposed to come through their lives that would bless other people. 
Like Abraham's one of the first uh, dudes that gets blessed materially in scripture. But what does God tell him? Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed. What I'm doing in you, Abraham, I want to do through you. I want you to live life open-handed. I want to put your life into order so that I can bless you in this. Now, when it comes to our own personal lives, we as Christ followers, we really do believe in this thing called tithing. And it's one of the funnest subjects to preach on all year for me. I don't know about you. Absolutely love it. Because when you, when you start talking about money, you start talking about tithing, automatically in my mind it's like, well, hey, they're going to think the church just wants my money and, and this and this and this and this. And, and I've kind of gotten over that to, the, to a certain respect because I understand now what it's done for me in my own personal life. And I recognize this as a pastor. I've been a pastor for seven years uh, at the church that I'm at. I, uh, I did an 18-month transition with the pastor that was there before. He was there for 32 years. I never wanted to be a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. I just told people, that is not for me. Uh, I was going to be a missionary. My degree is in Spanish with a minor in theology. I was, I was on my way to go spend my life in some other country. And here I am up becoming a pastor. And I, I, I get into this environment, and I'm like, man, what is, what is all of this? I, I didn't want any of this, God. But what I begin to see and understand for myself is all the things that God brought me through. And he brought me to this church, which is pretty amazing. Brought me to this church. I grew up in this church. And when I, when I, when I came to pastor, and I left my job at, at Joyce Meyer Ministries to, to be the, to the lead pastor, what I discovered is, is that when the previous pastor came to the church 32 years prior, the church was in a crazy amount of debt. What they had done is, is they, had, they had sold bonds to build a building. I don't know if anybody in here ever participated in that or know about that in church. Like literally, they had this program. You'd come in, you'd sell a bond, you'd guarantee like, hey, if you buy this bond at maturity, you're going to get, I don't know, 5% back, or whatever the guarantee was. The thing the church had to do was set aside the money as it, you know, matured so they could pay it back. Problem was, they didn't have any money to pay back when the bonds matured. So Pastor Ed comes in, he becomes the new pastor, he discovers the financial mess, and they said, well, uh, at our last business meeting before you got here, we decided to sell Amway to pay the debt. That's how desperate they were. They were meeting every week to decide what bills do we pay, what bills do we not pay. Pastor Ed had had an uh, a insurance business, so he knew some business principles, but he prayed, and he said, the Lord told him, I want you to begin tithing as a church. Tithe. So he goes to the board, and he said, look, we're not going to sell Amway, although it's probably a good idea. We're not going to do it. We're going to tithe. The church wasn't giving anything. And so they agreed to start tithing and giving 10% away to missions. And they did that. And they started little by little by little. Fast forward 32 years when Pastor Ed leaves the church. He leaves the church. The church has gone through a number of more building programs. They have no debt. There's money in the bank to, to weather maybe another storm or be more generous. And this church is still giving 10% off the top every year. Now, I say that to say this. The church had gotten to a point not because they were lovers of money, but because they were desperate, where they were willing, they were serving money at that point. They needed money to pay the bonds to keep the doors open, and they said, Amway is our savior. You may laugh, but how desperate have we all been at some point? 
where they were with good intention and good heart, we will sell Amway to keep this thing alive. And it was God, it was Pastor Ed coming and saying, no, 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 we're not going to go the direction of money as our source. We're not going to go the direction that money is going to solve our problems. We're going to go right back to the scripture and see what God says. Hey, we're going to make some sound financial decisions and go through the books and all that. But we're going to give 10 and we're going to let God break this spirit off of us and redeem the rest. Redeem the rest. I, I inherited that. I got to see that. And you say, how did that benefit you? Well, after about a year and a half of a honeymoon uh, period of being the pastor of the church, we started to make some changes to move forward. And a lot of those people that said we were with you, they weren't with us anymore. Right? And they left. And we were right in the middle of going to, we were going to do a, um, a, a renovation for our kids area. And we had a piece of the money set aside, but we needed to raise about another $85,000. And so we start this, and, and we're moving along, and, and we announce it, and I'm riding high. And then over the next three months, 300 people leave the church, uh, and, and, and like it was over $350,000 of yearly income walked out the door. And I'm thinking, this is not what you said, God. You said that you'd take care of it, right? And it'd be good. And, every, and all, it, it, it's not good because they just left. I said, like, what are we, we going to do? I mean, I literally was going into these board meetings, and thankfully because of Pastor Ed and Sound Financial Principles, we had some money, you know, to set aside that we could, we could weather the storm. Going to these meetings, and, and it's red this month, red this month. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, this is, this is going to be an absolute failure. We kept tithing, though, because I knew. I knew the history of the church. I knew the faithfulness of God. Like, we're not going to stop giving that money away. We'll cut other programs and things here before we ever stop that. I had breakfast with this guy. We were at, at, a, at McDonald's in House Springs, and we're sitting there talking, and he goes, hey, Josh, how much do you have left to raise? I'm like, we have $74,000 left to raise. He goes, okay. He said, I talked to my wife, and we're going to give you half of that. And he said, I'm going to give you half up front, but I want you to talk about it like it's a, a matching donation. You know, that for every dollar that someone gives, uh, I'll give the dollar. He goes, I'm going to give it to you all up front, and I'm not going to ask for any of it back. I was like, everything I could to not just, you know, fall on the floor crying. And I said, thank you. And two days later, he walks into the church, and he says, here you go. I had to move some things around, and he handed me a check for the, for the half of that money. And begin to slowly see the faithfulness of God come into play. Now that's, a, that's on a corporate level as a church. I know that this church ties. How do I know that? Because I've talked with Daniel. I know that this church believes in, the, in breaking that, that kind of spirit off and say we're going we're gonna to prioritize God first. God is our source, come what may. And you want to know this crazy thing that happened over the last year and a half called COVID? The crazy thing happened is, is that as of March last year, there wasn't a church in America that was still meeting, right? We, were, we automatically became a production facility overnight. We had to go online, you know, and, and you're preaching to a camera and nobody's meeting. And we didn't, meet, we didn't meet for three months. Some churches were shorter, some were longer, whatever the case may be. But what was amazing, and I was talking to Daniel about this too, there's nobody in the room preaching to a camera. And we both saw something happen over the last year and a half that attendance in person decreased, right? But financially, the church grew. It was the weirdest thing in the world. We stopped taking offerings in person. We just have a little drop box, you know? And more people gave. And, and it's, it was so amazing to me to see, wow, God, how faithful that you are. 
Because never in our minds, like when I was in Bible school and stuff like that, did they ever say, hey, be prepared for a global pandemic. Uh, you're not going to be in the building. You're going to learn all that. No, no, no. He didn't prepare us for any of it. But realizing that God is never caught off guard. God is our source. God knew what would happen. God is our security and our significance. That he's faithful. Say, hey, we're going we're gonna to continue to do this. And I could, I could share story after story, but time is clicking away from me, of even my own personal life, of how faithful that God has been. And can I just tell you this, because let me say this about tithing. Some people say, when I make more money, then I'll tithe. And the answer is, no, you won't. You won't. Like Jesus said back here, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. The Lord taught me, this is what I'll say, and then I'll, I promise I'll move on. The Lord taught me and my wife to be faithful in our finances. When our first son was born, our only son, uh, was born, and she felt like she wanted to stay, she really felt uh, pressed by the Lord that she was supposed to stay home with our son. Little did we know then uh, how important that would come to be for for him in in our life now. And I was like, you know, I've looked at the books, and it ain't going to work. Like, it doesn't make financial sense for you to stay home. And she's like, I just really believe God is, wants us to do this. And I said, well, we'll see what he does, and then we'll make a decision. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget walking out of the door one day on my way to work, and I just felt the Lord say, faith is not waiting until provision comes to make a decision. It is making a decision while you're waiting for the provision to come, just like Abraham with Isaac up the mountain. That was for me and my wife personally. And so she, we decided that she would stay home. And see, I grew up in, a, in an uber, uber legalistic environment that was like, if you don't tie, the transmission's going to fall out on the road, and you know what I mean? The air conditioner's not going to work, and I was, like, I, I was afraid not to tithe. And I got to the point, I don't, I don't recommend this, I'm not saying this is scriptural, but I was like, God, I'm not giving you another dime until I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I don't think that that's right, but I noticed something. It was like a, like a month and a half period. I, I didn't give God anything, and my clothes didn't wear out and my transmission didn't fall out. Nothing bad happened to me. Fire didn't rain down from heaven. And I said, God, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm approaching you wrong. Maybe you really are good. And you don't need my money, and you don't want my money, but you want my heart. And I, I, I decided, okay, Lauren, you know, um, we're going we're gonna to do this tithing thing. She never had a problem with it. She's got way more faith than I did. I took out my, my, uh, my checkbook and I was working in the, in the call center at Joyce Mar Ministries at the time, and I just remember every, every two weeks when we get paid, and I would, I would write the, the tithe check out personally. You could do online giving, but I, I needed to see myself do it. And I'd write it out, and I had scriptures, you know, where the Lord talked about tithing. I'd write those in the memo portion, and I just remember putting it in and putting it in. I remember we were going to the grocery store with a calculator, and we were adding stuff up. You know, we got $44. I remember one time we had $44.18 to, to <laughs> to spend on groceries. And we were at Walmart in Arnold, and, and uh, there's this like soup you can make. It's like 15 or 16 bean soup. I don't know. It's like at the bottom of the, of the bean and rice aisle. And uh, you put cornbread in it and stuff. And we didn't have enough for the, this 15, 16 bean soup, whatever it was. And I remember putting it back. And I remember standing in the aisle. And I, and I had tears, not because I was crying over my food. But I just had this sense of, God, you are faithful and you are good. You are good and you are faithful, and I was contented. And I, I just say that to say the Lord broke this off of us when we didn't hardly have anything. 
you know, grocery store with a calculator, gas in the car, bills are paid. We got another week and we got like $7 to our name. That was where I felt like the Lord really taught us a whole lot and revealed our hearts to us. Because how you handle money, how you approach money is really just an insight into your heart. Do you trust God or do you trust money? Because God is way better than money. Because here's the, here's the next thing is this, is that money is temporal. Money is temporal. It is temporary. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Listen to this, Proverbs 23, 5. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Anybody ever get paid on Monday and what happened by, wonder what happened by Friday? That money sprouted wings and flew off. Maybe because we don't have a budget. I don't know. But it, go, it can go. It can go. Haggai 1, chapter 1, verse 6. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are, not th- are still thirsty. You put clothes on, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though they were putting them, on, uh, putting them in pockets filled with holes. My son's 10. He got some money the other day for doing chores. And by the time I gave it to him, he put it in his pocket. It was already burned through. He's like, can we go to the store? I want to get this, and I want to get this, and I want to get this. I'm like, slow down, bro. You haven't even taken a breath since I handed you the money. It goes fast. It's temporary. And the reality is, is that really, what are we filling our lives with? What are we filling our lives with? Like, again, I don't, I don't have any qualms with how much money any of us make in here. But what are we using that money for to fill our lives with? Things that are temporary or things that are eternal? Things that fulfill or things that just make us want more? I'm always bummed when I'm driving down the road and I see new construction and I discover it's another storage facility. I'm like, dear God, somebody is making a lot of money off our junk. They're the real geniuses. <laughs> One end's telling you, buy, 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 you need more, you need more. The other side is saying, yeah, buy, 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 you need more and we'll store it for you. Right? If you think about it, we've got so much stuff in this country. It's a uniquely Western problem. I would say almost maybe even uniquely American problem. We've got enough space that we can be like, I, yeah, I got so much. Let me just empty my basement, throw it in this, in this garage, lock it up. Now, sometimes, some of us need storage facilities. But just the whole idea of it is just, I think, uh, emblematic of kind of how we live our lives. Filling our lives with junk and stuff we will never, ever use. That isn't important to us. That was important in that moment because it promised something, but it didn't fulfill. Like, less is actually more. Less is actually more. If you think about it, you could go through your house and get rid of a whole bunch of stuff, and it may just make you feel even more at peace. How about clutter? Anybody like clutter? I don't like clutter, but when I see clutter, sometimes I'm so stressed out, I just leave the clutter. I don't even know where to begin, right? Because it's just more. And then I'm letting money just leave me in the pursuit of more rather than having a right relationship with money. Listen to this idea of, of more. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. Jesus is telling him a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And he said, I know. I'll build a storage facility. I'll build a bigger barns and bigger ones. I'll build, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have stored enough away for years to come. Now take easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. 
you'll die this very night, then who will get everything you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. God seems to define wealth very differently than we define wealth. We define wealth as the accumulation of things and stuff. And for that matter, I think it's great that you should have retirement and save and all that kind of stuff. None of this is a, anything against that. But it gets to the point where we serve that and we live for that. And he says, hey, you can have all that stuff. But if you don't have a rich relationship with God, you are poor. You are poor. I've noticed something. There's been a, a bit of a shift in, in, our, in our church in that there's a, a group of people that were there when I first started uh, pastoring, and they're still there, that had very, very felt needs, like physical needs, you know? Physical needs, financial needs, uh, some need food, some need clothing. And as, as the years have gone by, there's some, some other people showed up that don't have any of those physical needs, and they have more resources than they know what to do with. But I notice when I sit down and talk to some of them, they have a different kind of poverty different kind of poverty. They're not happy. They're not fulfilled. They're not satisfied. They just keep getting bigger barns and bigger barns. But they keep getting more unhappy and more unhappy and more unhappy. Again, mammon. It can't make you happy. It can't make you significant. It can't make you secure. I remember... When uh, Lauren and I went to Haiti in 2010 after the earthquakes and, and did some work at an orphanage there, and I remember I was walking down to the, to, the, to the river, and there was a lady that was farming, and she had a baby strapped her back like a newborn, right? And, and I was eating a granola bar, uh, being just, I guess, a little inconsiderate. I'm eating this granola bar, and she looked up at me. She looked up at me like, and just looked at the food, and I looked out without thinking. I just went... And I gave it to her, and she ate it, and she got this huge smile on her face. And even in the difficulty of, of what she was dealing with and living a life that I could never imagine, I sensed this kind of joy and fulfillment in her. I remember writing in my journal that I'm, I, I said, I'm in need of nothing but in want of everything. And these individuals that I've encountered seem to have a joy and a peace I have yet to discover. They needed a lot, but they had something I didn't have. And recognizing that it's not the pursuit of building a bigger barn, but it's the pursuit of understanding that the resources that I have right now, the money is temporary. And then the question has to become is this, how am I going to steward temporal resources for eternal results? How am I going to steward temporary resources for eternal results? That's the question. Because money is also eternal. I know, you're thinking it's not just a, a juxtaposition of two things. It's temporary and it's eternal. Listen to this, Luke 16, 9, as we bring this to a close. That here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. The resources of money are temporary. You can't take them with you. You can't take your money with you when you pass away. Right? Nothing is going with you. But God's plan and God's people are eternal. And just as he did for Abraham, I'm blessing you, Abraham, to be a blessing to all of the nations. As his followers, he is blessing us to be a blessing to others around us. And we have to prioritize people over profit, people over money. And we have to really sit back and think, okay, 
how am I going to put God first financially? Putting God first, in my opinion, is starting with tithing, starting with that, that percentage. But it's in saying, how can I utilize these resources, yes, to take care of my family, but also to invest in people and leave a legacy through people? The legacy of Elevation Church will not be the building that you get next. The legacy will be the people that come and the people that are, in, in, that are impacted. As you give to a legacy offering, you're giving to people not to steal and carpet and pipes and all that. Those are just the costs of doing business. Investing in people. How can you utilize your resources to invest in people? How can you experience the joy of helping people? And Andy Stanley says this, and I think it's great. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one. I, I can't give $10,000. That's fine. Give 100 I ain't got to give 10 Buy somebody a coffee. Pay for their meal. Pay for their gas. Do something. Yes, give to God, but just think, have eyes. How can I be a blessing? How can I be a blessing? How can I be a blessing? One last story. I, just, I share personal stories just because it, it, it makes sense to me and hopefully it communicates to you. In that same time that, that the Lord was really dealing with my wife, Lauren, and I, we also felt impressed to, to, start, um, to start a nonprofit organization and help people, and we were going to change the world. You know what I mean? Change the world and uh, all over the world. And the Lord sent us to a little bitty town. I say little bitty. It's got about 100,000 people, but it's small in terms of the country of Guatemala. And this, to this group of people called the, the, the Quiche Indians, they're Mayan, with a missionary. We go there and, and we get the opportunity to, to start, you know, building homes and doing some things. But we came across these two uh, young people. Their names were Jose and Juana. And they uh, had actually lived in the U.S. for a little while, but their family was deported, and they were trilingual. They spoke English, like perfect, Spanish, and then their mother language was Quiche, which was the Mayan language. And they had, had gone to school in the U.S. because they were deported and lost their source of income. They came back to the poverty of the area, and uh, we, through conversation, we discovered that, and a mutual friend, that they, they really wanted to go to school, but they couldn't afford it. And so... I was like, Lord, I want to change the world, you know, doing all these grand plans and things. And Lauren and I just felt like maybe, maybe just we should just help these kids go to school. Maybe that's where it starts right here. Maybe the eternal impact is nobody knowing the name of the nonprofit, but it is that God loves Jose and Juana. And they weren't believers. And so through the missionary, we, we started to pay for their school followed up and you know number of months see what's going on and their mother had stolen the money said we use it for something else and they were very very apologetic said we 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 didn't want to but our mother made us take blah 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 all this cultural stuff and so we got the missionary involved and we got it figured out where we could pay the school directly and so we paid for them to go to school every month every month every month and you kind of wonder what the impact of that's going to be well, the amazing thing is, is this, as they graduated from school, uh, Jose opened up an ESL class there in the, in the area and is teaching kids how to speak English. But Juana, Juana, she, she ended up meeting Jesus. And I think Jose has too. 
Juana has given her life to the Lord and now she's running the daily operations of that. Not, not our nonprofit, but of another organization that we partnered with there with. She's running the daily organization, uh, organizational things. She's able to communicate uh, all throughout the culture because she's trilingual, trilingual, incredible. And little did we know that there's this little thing called the Jesus uh, Project, the film, the Jesus film. And the Quiche language, just real quick, is the, it was not a written language until the 1970s. The missionary that went there learned the language, developed an alphabet, and then translated the entire Bible into the language. So these people had never seen a, a, a TV show in their language. They'd never seen a movie in their language, nothing. Right? And so the Jesus film comes along. They, they translate it into, into Quiche, record it, do all this kind of stuff, and they show it. And it's a very primitive area, and people start coming to Jesus, and there's all these kids that start coming to Jesus. And so they develop this curriculum for these kids to be discipled and learn about Jesus. And then the government gives them the, the opportunity to come in the schools and do the correct Jesus film curriculum in the schools to disciple these kids, the public school system, right? And guess who's heading it up? Juana. Juana. She's heading it up, reaching thousands of kids in their mother language for Jesus. That's how money becomes eternal. Now, I ain't sharing that story to, to prop myself up in any way, shape, or form. But you can make a difference. You can make a difference with one person at a time if you allow God to bless you and that is put into order your finances and break that spirit off of it and realize that his way is best. And remember, I believe we say this at our church, and I know Pastor Daniel's heart is this with something that we want something for you, not something from you. And this is a partnership, and this is something we get to do together. So I just want to thank you for the opportunity to come and be able to share. And I'd love to pray for all of you and anyone that's joining online. So if you wouldn't mind to bow your heads. I just ask this if there's anybody uh, online or maybe anybody in here. One of the things that needs to be put into order in your life is giving your heart to Jesus, making him the, the Lord and the leader of your life and experiencing the life and the transformation and the forgiveness and the grace that he has for you. If that is anybody in this room, I'd simply, I'm going to ask you to, to just pray this after me. You can, you can raise your hand if you want to or if you're online. I just want you to pray this prayer after me. Just Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. And I come to you as a broken, sinful individual. And I receive the grace and the forgiveness of your son, Jesus Christ. And I declare in this moment that I'm a new person, a new creation. With the life of Jesus on the inside of me. And I declare that Jesus, you're my Lord. And you're my leader. And I will follow you. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every one of us here and online that if we're struggling in this area, that, Lord, you can help us. Help us to trust you, Father. To trust, to put our trust in you and not our finances. That we would worship you and not the pursuit of more. I pray, Father, that just as you've done for me, that you've done for our church, and that you've done so many times in the life of Elevation Church, that you would just show yourself faithful in the small ways. Pray that you meet needs in this room today, Father, that seem insurmountable and seem like there's no way possible. And I don't just pray for financial needs, but Father, may you meet relational needs and psychological and emotional needs in this house. 
for the last year and a half has been absolutely crazy and unprecedented for us. May we rest in you. Hebrews says we labor to rest. May we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, knowing that, God, you are faithful. You have gone before us, and you come behind us, and you are leading us into victory and freedom. And, Father, thank you. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.